Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? So guys, I just wanted to remind you of the ways to follow me because they have been updated. My website, which is drdelvina.help, H-E-L-P, is under construction. I am creating a new website that's updated. The current website is old. It's um, hmm, about 9 or 10 years old. So I'm reconstructing my website. That will be out soon. I'll let you know the new web page or the new web address but you can still email me at info info at drdelvina.help which is d-r-d-e-l-v as in victor e-n-a dot help h-e-l-p i'm also on instagram as dr delvina when you hear me say dr delvina doctor shortened it's d-r it's not spelled out it's d-r and then delvina my name is spelled d as in delta e-l-v as in victor e-n-a so on Instagram, it's Dr. Delvina. I'm also on TikTok now as Dr. Delvina as well. And of course, you know that I have a YouTube channel. It's Dr. Delvina Thomas. And I also have the podcast platforms. So um, I'm on Anchor. I'm on uh, Pandora. I'm on Spotify, on Apple Podcast, and iHeartRadio, which iHeart, we have to do some updating. For some reason, it's not feeding into iHeart. That mechanism has stopped. So that will be updated soon, and you'll be able to get your most recent episodes there on iHeartRadio. And um, as soon as I get the new website, I'll let you know the web address. My Facebook page is... Not back up, but I have a new Facebook page. Um, some of you may know that I was doctor with a period space Delvina on Facebook, but Facebook took it down as they did my Twitter as well. I don't have a Twitter. You can use the office Twitter, which is DRT Brain Love. And then on Facebook, I'm Dr. Delvina, just like on Instagram, which is DR, no period this time, D E L V as in Victor E N A. That is my Facebook page. Please pull it up and follow me on Facebook. I would appreciate your support. And I also have new pamphlets. I have new pamphlets, everybody. So you can order your pamphlets. It's the Brain Food and also Brain Sleep pamphlets. They're available on Amazon. If you put in, it's best to search by my name because if you search by Brain Food or Brain Sleep, you're going to get all sorts of other supplements and other products. So put in DR space Delvina and they shall come up. All righty. Thank you for following. Thank you for your listenership. Thank you so much. And don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Hey, 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 Dr. Stitt, are you ready to take the couch? Let's do it. Yeah. So July is fibroid awareness month. Of course, um, you were just with me here in South Florida on Wednesday night. I'm sorry, on third therapy Thursday night. How do I forget my day of the week for my show? <laughs> it must be early. It must be early in the morning, Dr. Thomas. No, it's not. It's actually late. You know, this episode drops every Sunday night, y'all at 8 p.m. So it kind of gets late for me around this time. So I'm I'm tired right now. I had a full weekend. How was your weekend? 
It was full. We had a lot to do, a lot of preparations for the upcoming week, have a lot of podcasts, doing a lot of educational opportunities to share with women the experience of others who suffer from fibroids. So we've got a busy week ahead. All right. So guys listening, the reason why I want to discuss fibroids on a mental health podcast is because gynecological issues, including uterine fibroids, we're discussing uterine fibroids, not the fibroids in your breast, but uterine fibroids. Gynecological issues can cause a lot of mental health challenges for women. Women can become frustrated because of the challenges these, uh, these things can pose in their life. Um, they can uh, disrupt their personal life, their social life, their life inside of the bedroom. And so you're going to hear all about that tonight as Dr. Stitt and I chatted up. Before we get into it, though, Dr. Stitt, please tell folks, who is Dr. Stitt? Who are you? Why are you the expert tonight? Sure, I love to. So um, my name is Dr. O. Lawrence Stitt III. Uh, I specialize in treating uterine fibroids. Um currently serve as the medical director for minimally invasive gynecological surgery at University of Maryland Capital Region Health, as well as the medical director of the Fibroid and Pelvic Pain Center at University of Maryland. And what we do is we specialize on giving women options, not just doing surgery, but options to treat uterine fibroids, everything from nutrition to surgery in some cases. We've been doing this for over 20 years, and we feel as though our footprint is increasing every single day, not just with performing surgeries and, and giving medications, but in educating, educating women, men, children, anyone that is affected by a woman who has fibroids in the systems associated with it. So we, we, have a, we have a big, big, heavy lift that we're doing. However, our short-term expectations have been met, and we're looking forward to growing further. So that's what we do here. All right. So you started off delivering babies. You're uh, board-certified in obstetrics and gynecology, but now you have limited your practice to some very specialized procedures, um, most of which you're the only person in the state who's performing these procedures, if I understand correctly. Well, I love to say I'm the only the only person, you know, nothing is really good unless there's competition. So there uh-huh. is some healthy competition amongst colleagues well, that perform. You're the only surgery. black. You're the only black person. Male. Black I am male. the only black male. There's a sister that performs these procedures, one that I trained uh when I was uh at University of Maryland earlier. Uh, and she is a phenomenal surgeon as well. So I just want to let your listeners know that. These procedures that we're talking about, yeah, in my state in Maryland, there's only four of us in the whole state that perform this procedure. So it's kind of it's kind of great that we have individuals that perform this procedure, but it really takes someone that's committed to learning and performing the latest and greatest and innovative procedures to take care of fibroids to really understand what a woman's needs are. All right. So what are fibroids, Dr. Sidney? I'm glad you asked. So fibroids, fibroids are tumors. I always like to use this T word and I call it a T word because it's the word tumor that I think makes folks ears perk up. Tumors, we always think about that. Oh my God, I got cancer. I got a tumor. Well, in this particular case, fibroids are benign, non-cancerous. They're not going to cause you to die, 
but they can affect your quality of life. They are cells at a molecular level that grow in the uterus and they grow uncontrollably so much so that they can become the size of a watermelon, a full month pregnancy, a full 40 week pregnancy in a woman's abdomen. And it can cause significant difficulty of, of, of having babies, having intercourse, as you say, being intimate with partners and just having daily functioning. So again, what are fibroids? They're tumors that grow and cause problems for women. And how common are fibroids among women of color? Interestingly, interestingly enough, we, we've, we found that women of color, eight out of 10, by the time they turn age 50, will have uterine fibroids. And about 45% of them will be symptomatic. So there's two different ways to look at uterine fibroids in, in my field. One, do you have them? Then two, are they interfering with your quality of life? So when we look, when we talk about fibroids in women of color specifically, what we see is that at least 80% of women will have them by the time they turn age 50. And of that 40% who have the symptoms, unfortunately, when we see the fibroids, they've progressed to a point at which some of the easier treatments like nutrition, medication, and minimally invasive procedures can't be done because the tumors are just too big at that time. Wow, 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 wow. Well, how would a woman know if she has tumors or fibroids? Because you said eight out of 10 women, Black women, that's 80%. That's an alarming, that's an alarming rate. That's a high rate of Black women. How would a woman know? Let's don't get into like the signs and the symptoms once they um, become huge. But how would someone know? I, I guess if they're small, most of the time you wouldn't know. So that's a good question. How do you know about these things that you may not be able to feel early on, or you may not have symptoms of early on? Well, just like everything else that we talk about in medicine, how do you know that you're at increased risk for colon cancer? How do you know that you can potentially have high blood pressure? How do you know that you may be someone who has diabetes? This is the medical condition, just like the ones I just mentioned. But we do know that in some families, you know, grandmama had diabetes, so you need to make sure you don't get it. You know, Uncle Ray, he had, he had colon cancer, so you need to be checked. We need to have this conversation and unmute the discussion about menses and menstrual cycles, because if you understand that, well, you know, Grandma Ruby, uh, she had fibroids and had to have her uterus taken out. And you know, I had fibroids and had, my, had to have my uterus taken out. Well, likely the daughter of Grandma Ruby or the granddaughter of Grandma Ruby would have to have an evaluation because she very well likely will have fibroids too. So family history plays an increasingly important role in determining who has fibroids. Hmm. So you're saying the first step is to maybe make a simple inquiry with your family. Ask your mama, ask your grandmother, ask your aunt, um, ask your sister if they're dealing with fibroids. Is, Is that correct? Yes, just having a simple conversation can save a life. Hmm. Wow. Well, hopefully people are talking in their homes, man. There's so many things we have to talk about. So what are some of the signs and symptoms when someone has these fibroids and they're getting bigger? What, what will women notice? You know, that's a good question. What do you see? What do fibroids cause? What, 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 what could happen to me? Well, 
You know, it depends on the size, Dr. Thomas. It depends on the size. Sometimes fibroids are small, and sometimes they can just cause increased bleeding. For example, if the menstrual cycle, if a woman's cycle typically lasts three to five days, and they use one to two tampons per day during that cycle, that could be considered normal. However, if the cycle increases from five to seven days, five to 10 days, seven to 10 days, and the, the requirement for tampons or pads or the Diva Cup or whatever a woman decides to use starts increasing and the bleeding increases, and that could be a sign that there's something abnormal going on. Now, that's with the smaller fibroids. But sometimes you don't pick up those symptoms as a woman. You don't determine that you have fibroids until you have some of the significant symptoms. And those are the ones that are associated with significant pelvic pain, urinary incontinence, like leakage of urine when you laugh, cough, or sneeze, or jump up and down, or constipation. You can't even have a bowel movement because it hurts so bad, or back pain that doesn't go away during the menstrual cycle or during any other time of the month. So there's a variety of symptoms depending upon the size of the fibroid that women should look out for after they've had the conversation with their family members. Okay, okay. Whew, that's a whole lot. Um, all right. So why are women not, let's see, let me rephrase that question. I, I had a lot of women DM me when I um, posted the flyer for Therapy Thursday. Um, and so many of them say that they weren't aware of uterine fibroids. They had no idea what it was. They didn't know why their menses was so heavy. And they went to their gynecologist and that person told them nothing. You heard Wednesday night, Ingrid B. mentioned that at the age of 17, her gynecologist told her, you will have fibroids. What, what did her gynecologist base that on? What do you think was happening at the time? I know you weren't there, obviously, but for a better understanding for someone who may have encountered that same situation and also if Ingrid B. is listening, why or what do you see um, in a woman that makes you kind of stereotype and say, mm, yeah, she looks like she's going to be a fibroid person? You know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to make that statement without the opportunity or data to know. And maybe that provider had the data that would suggest that eight out of 10 Black women will have fibroids by the time they turn age 50. And maybe that's what made them have that, that, that outlook and that conversation. Um, but we do know that there are certain risk factors that result in an increased growth of uterine fibroids, not necessarily the presence. You know, I've been asked several times, oh. Doc, get, can I just get rid of fibroids? Um, is there anything I can do to get rid of them once they show up? Well, uh, not really. Once your DNA or that information that tells your body how to be your body has information on growing fibroids, they're going to be there. But there are certain things that you can do to slow down the growth. And my fibroid center, we talk about comprehensive treatment of fibroids. And, you know, it's kind of sad sometimes to hear a healthcare provider tell you, you have something and something is not quite right, or you're going to have something that's going to affect your body negatively. And eh, we're not going to do anything about it. Just, yeah, you'll be all right. You're good. What? Is something wrong with me? And you're not going to do anything? And you're the professional? You're the expert? Well, I think that's very, very unfortunate. And if I were to see someone who was 17, 18 years old, 
a woman of color who had a significant family history of uterine fibroids. Grandma Ruby had them, Mama had them, Auntie Lulu had them, everybody had them. And here I am, 18, 19, having abnormal bleeding. Well, there's an opportunity to make some positive changes in that young person's life, as opposed to just telling them you have this condition and you can't help them, to help them reduce the growth of fibroids, like changing diets. Sometimes just maintaining an overall healthy diet, decreasing your overall body mass index, which I'm sure you're going to talk about soon, Dr. Thomas, you don't know all this stuff, but these little things can reduce the rate of fibroid growth and stop women from having to have these aggressive surgeries at younger ages. Just that's so, all. So, Dr. Stitt, talk about the risk factors. So you already mentioned DNA and hereditary. What are some other risk factors? I know you mentioned diet. So what specifically about the diet can increase the possibility that a woman could develop fibroids or if she has the little tumors that they would grow in size? There, there's some data, there's conflicting data that's out there that suggests that red meat plays a role in uterine fibroid growth. You know, we talk about um, what happens when you eat some of the food that we have in our grocery stores. You know, real quick, Dr. Thomas, I spent some time uh, in other countries. I know you have as well. And when you have the opportunity to eat food that has not been treated with steroids, you see, there's a drastic difference. I went to a country, Dr. Thomas, and I had chicken and I thought I was coming up and I was going to have some of this chicken that I had when I at home. I said, just give me a drumstick. Give me a thigh. I'll be good. They brought a drumstick. I thought I was eating. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It was like a three-day-old chicken. It was so small because of the effect of the steroids and everything that they put in our food. Whether that plays a role or not, I don't have any randomized controlled trials, but I'll tell you one thing, fibroids are getting bigger, children are getting bigger, and we're seeing a lot of medical complications likely due to some of the additives that are placed in our foods. So when we talk about red meat, it's not necessarily the meat itself. It can be. There's conflicting studies, but there are also additional factors that can play a role. Now, mm. also there's, there's, there's studies that suggest that maybe red wine may play a role as well. There's conflicting data on that as well. So I, you know, there's really there's red yeah. wine. Yes, there's conflicting why, data on why of, of red, red wine. wine. I why? wish I had that answer. The mechanism is not known. The mechanism okay. of not know is not known. And this is why there's there's conflicting data. Because trust me when I say this, if we had adequately evaluated randomized controlled trials or research that shows that. If you eat red meat, your fibroids grow. We would have people on pescatarian diets immediately. It's just a risk factor. And there's never, there's not a direct correlation between red meat and fibroids. Because quite honestly, we have vegans that have fibroids. Mm. I, I, I see pescatarians that have fibroids. So, you know, there is no direct correlation, but there is a suggestion. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, how does weight play into fibroids? Because I, I did see somewhere that um, obesity is considered a risk factor for fibroid development. That's great. So what role does weight play in, in fibroids? Well, I'll tell you this, you know, fibroids, they grow based on hormones that circulate in a woman's body. We know that when these hormones stop circulating, the fibroids stop growing. It's just that simple. 
When women go through menopause, the fibroids don't grow anymore. And in some cases, they shrink. Menopause, as a reminder, is that state at which the hormones levels that were previously circulating decrease. And because of this big decrease, there's symptoms like hot flashes, cold sweats, and a lot of other symptoms associated with menopause. However, fibroids don't grow. With obesity, there's an increase in fat cells. No matter how we want to say it, when there's obesity, there's more fat cells. The interesting thing about fat cells is that they store estrogen. And because they store estrogen, they take circulating estrogen out of the bloodstream. And the body's like, where did all my estrogen go? I guess I need more. And it makes more. Now you have extra estrogen, the growth factor for fibroids, and they grow more. So we know that by decreasing the obesity, losing weight, having a better diet, working with a nutritionist, we can decrease the amount of estrogen stored in fat cells and slow down the growth of fibroids. Got it. So, so far we've discussed certain risk factors. We've talked about race because we're, we talked about black women, eight out of 10 have fibroids, uterine fibroids. We spoke about DNA, hereditary, familial, basically familial predisposition. We talked about um, obesity or being overweight. And for those of you who are like, well, I'm not obese. A lot of us, us as in Black women are obese. People don't realize that because we've accepted certain things as the norm. But a lot of Black women are considered obese by BMI standards. So really go see your primary care physician and see, do you fall in that category? And if you do, you may want to have a conversation with your PCP, with your primary care physician about what other problems you could encounter because of being obese. And you should see a nutritionist, as Dr. Stitt is saying, and create an exercise program or a fitness program, one where you're not striving to drop to drop 50 pounds in a month, but one where you're just, you just want to achieve total wellness and buy... Um, exercising regularly, a byproduct will be better weight management. Um, Dr. Stitt, what about some other factors? Um, you know, I began my menses at the age of 10. So there are some girls who don't start menstruating until they're in high school, you know, ninth and 10th grade. Can that play a role in the development of fibroids, whether you uh, started your menses early in, earlier in your life or later in your life? That's a good question. So, you know, does the onset of menses determine the level of fibroids uh, you may have? Uh, it can. It won't determine whether or not you have them, but it can determine how significant they'll be. Now, does it all the time? No, it doesn't. I've seen women who've had fibroids first diagnosed in their 20s. And by the time they reach 30 years old, the fibroids are the size of a basketball. I've seen wow. patients who have had fibroids diagnosed in their 20s and they never get any larger than an apricot. So it kind of depends on the patient, the diet, as we mentioned, exercise and all that. But it's important to know that at times we're just talking about, we were just talking about a minute ago, the effect that estrogen plays the effect that estrogen plays. So if you have high levels of estrogen, which occur 
at the onset of menses or when when you go through puberty. And that lasts for 30 years, 40 years in some cases, there's more estrogen around to allow the fibroids to grow. However, if you don't start your cycle at 10 years old and you started at 17 to 18 years old, probably rare to do that, but let's say 15, 16, then there are fewer years that you have that circulating estrogen. So theoretically, theoretically, you would suggest that the fibroid may grow a little bit more if you have more menstrual cycles. But again, there's so many risk factors, rate determining factors, growth factors that play a role. It's kind of hard to say just based on onset of menses, your fibroids will have a certain growth pattern. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we said we weren't going to spend too much time um, on the couch, on the audio podcast, because we spend a lot of time together creating the Therapy Thursday video, which yes. will be out. Yeah, that was that was a very good interview. Thank you again, Dr. Stitt, for doing that. And to the audience, it will be out soon on my YouTube channel. If you're not following me on YouTube, please do so. My YouTube channel is Dr. Delvina Thomas. But one thing we didn't really do a lot of during the interview, because we had, you know, questions from the audience. We were at English Brown Winery. We also had um, someone who wanted to share her personal story regarding her situation with uterine fibroids. So it took a little, those things took a little time away from really going into the nitty gritty specifics about treatment. You, you know, you talked about treatment a little bit, but I want you to elaborate here on the audio podcast. Take us through levels of treatment. What's the least invasive? And then take us all the way to the most invasive type of treatment. What happens? What happens with treatment? What options are available for treatment? Uh, well, there are a lot of options available and let's talk about them. So we, we do know we do know that historically fibroids were treated with surgery. I like to call it your mama's hysterectomy because years ago, there was a procedure called hysterectomy where the C-section scar was made in a woman's abdomen. We would open the abdomen, go in, take out the entire uterus to treat fibroids. And this is something that's been going on for years and years and years. Ever since the first GYN started doing surgery, fibroids have been present in as far as back as the 1800s. And this is one of the ways that these procedures were being done. It's very painful. You require a lot of pain medication. There's time that's required outside of work, four to six weeks sometimes. And probably in the early 1980s, uh, 90s, when I was training years and years and years ago, you had to stay in the hospital for three days. Currently, we have a variety of ways of treating fibroids. We mentioned nutrition as a management option, as a management option. But we also have medications that are created specifically to treat the symptoms of fibroids. They're medications that can de decrease the amount of bleeding by 70 to 80%. These same medications can also eliminate bleeding in some patients. About 50% of patients who take this medication have an elimination of bleeding altogether. So there's medical therapy that's available. After that, there's minimally invasive procedures. You know, Dr. Thomas, I do procedures currently in my operating room, of which um, I hope we can share soon with your YouTube audience that 
I can perform these procedures with no incisions, some of these procedures, no incisions. Patients go home an hour after the procedure and their fibroid symptoms go away completely, depending upon the size of the fibroid. There are other procedures where I deal with very large fibroids. Some of the procedures are the newest and the latest and the greatest. For example, we have one procedure where we go in through a small incision, less than three millimeters big, so I don't even know what you can compare that to. Maybe the width of your pinky fingernail. Um, wow. And we destroy the fibroid. We apply heat. We destroy the fibroid. We allow the body to reabsorb the fibroid because the fibroid came from the body. So the fibroid can reabsorb it. And patients do quite well. Very, very, very well. However, we do find in some cases, Dr. Thomas, that when patients come in with a complaint of heavy bleeding, it could be due to fibroids, but there could be something else going on too. Sometimes there's some yeah. abnormal cells inside the uterus. And rarely, probably less than 1% of the time, these cells have to be removed because they're cancerous or can become cancerous. So we can perform hysterectomies now, not your mama's hysterectomy. No, we don't have to do that anymore. What we can now do is use some of the da Vinci robotic technology and we can perform what's called laparoscopic surgery. And that's just a term for using small incisions on someone's abdomen to go in and remove the entire uterus in such a manner where it takes us 45 minutes to an hour to perform the surgery. And within three hours, a patient is going home and recovering at home with their family, with loved ones around them, not with strangers, eating nice meals, not hospital food. Sorry, hate to hate on hospital food, but it's nasty. So not doing all of that um, and really having the opportunity to just not only physically recover, Dr. Thomas, but mentally recover from that traumatic experience with their loved ones supporting them, leading to a better overall surgical experience. So that helps to go a long way. Now, when there are patients who don't qualify for nutrition, medication, these slick medical techniques that we can, can perform now and send patients home the same day. There's some patients who just have to have surgery, who have to have an incision in their abdomen. You know, I like to tell the story about a young lady who came from a different state to see me because everywhere she went, Dr. Thomas, they told her, you have to have a hysterectomy. Your uterus is too big. Everywhere. And so she happened to have a- Wait, family. wait, they said- Wait, wait, wait. They said your uterus is too big. You, you just said they said you have to have surgery. Your uterus is just too big. You have to have a hysterectomy. Right, right, right. And you your said your uterus cannot be saved. It can't. Can't be saved. Okay. It's too big. It's too big. Can't when, be you, saved. When, when you said it was too big, why was it too big? What was it causing it to be too big? This young lady's uterus had so many uterine fibroids. That okay, the see, uterus... Dr. Sit, you're skipping that part. The listeners got to hear, they need the details. So they... he's saying her uterus was huge, guys, because she had, what, a lot of fibroids? Her uterus was big so fibroids. big because it was filled with so many fibroids that the fibroids were pushing on her kidneys. The fibroids were pushing on her bowel. This young lady could not pass gas. She belts all the time because she just couldn't get it out. Her pelvis or her abdomen stuck out like she was nine months pregnant. 
Um, she could not even get pap smears done because her cervix, which is that organ that we see when we look inside in the office to do a pap smear, had gone away because the fibroids had taken over that entire area. And she just did not know what to do. She came in uh, to see me for a consultation because her mother had heard about me and told her to give me a call. We had an initial virtual consultation. And she said, well, I'm going to come by and, and give this a try. She came, I saw her, we performed her surgery. And when we finished Dr. Thomas, her uterus was able to be kept. She had nine pounds of fibroids removed during the surgery. Oh. She has a uterus to date and now can have a baby if she chooses. She's going to have to talk to her obstetrician about close observation during her pregnancy. I don't want to lead your listeners to believe that you can have all this done and you can have a baby and everything will be just fine. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is she has a womb now and she can have yeah. a baby if she wants, as opposed to what she was being told before. And mentally, it changed her entire outlook. She left with a smiling face. She was in a better mood and she was obese. So the first thing I did when I talked to her before she went back home was connected her with my nutrition, my, my nutritionist, so that she could get some help with that as well. So, you know, when we talk about fibroids, there are different levels of treatment, whether they be nutrition, medication, minimally invasive surgery, or definitive surgery like hysterectomy. However, these options can work together. They're not independently and exclusive. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you so much for explaining that. Um, so this is, we're going to do like a lightning round here. I'll ask a question and give me a short, brief answer. Um, because in the interest of time, um, let's see, can I prevent fibroids? No, you cannot. Uh, fibroids are genetic. If they're in your DNA, you're going to have it. Mm. Okay. That was easy. Um, does having fibroids put me at a greater risk of developing uterine or ovarian cancer? Fibroids can cause complications with your quality of life, but there is no known connection between fibroids and uterine cancer. They, they occur by two different mechanisms. Fibroids can be cancerous, not to confuse this with uterine cancer, less than 1% of the time, but there is no connection between fibroids and uterine cancer or ovarian cancer. So ladies, if you have fibroids, it does not mean you're going to have cancer. All right. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, I think we've talked about a lot. I really did not want to um, go into a lot of detail because I want folks to watch the interview that will be out on YouTube soon. Again, my YouTube channel is Dr. Delvina Thomas. Just search for that. And once you find it, guys, click the subscribe button. Click the subscribe button and request to get alerts. So whenever I, I post something or I go live or I put up a new video, you'll find out because you're following. Um, so go on YouTube, click subscribe, and you'll know right away when I post a video with Dr. Stitt. 
Dr. State, you gave us so much information. Um, I really appreciate you for doing this interview and spending more time with me. Um, I think I just want to ask you one last question before we get out of here. And you really did talk about this already, but I, I know that there's probably some women out there who are still thinking, I have fibroids, what do I do? That's a great question. So if you know you have fibroids, or think you may have fibroids, I always say, talk to your OBGYN and have an evaluation done. Even if you have fibroids and you were told you had fibroids, let's say during pregnancy, and you haven't had any symptoms, it's important to get an ultrasound, which allows us to look at the fibroids and evaluate the growth every six months. So if they start growing at an increased rate, we can intervene and stop the trend of having to have surgery. So if you think you have fibroids and you don't have any symptoms, see your OBGYN. If you have fibroids and you have symptoms, see your OBGYN because they are the specialists that can help treat your fibroids. And I hope and I know that if some OBGYNs don't have the expertise in treating fibroids, I hope that they would refer you to someone who does, such as myself, so that you don't necessarily have to have surgery. You can benefit from some of the technology techniques, and management options that are available for women? One would hope, um, you know, and I say this a lot, and people have heard me say this, Black women, get a doctor who looks like a surgeon, a gynecologist, get a doctor, get doctors who look like you, because then you don't have to, you don't have to wonder inside of your head, is this doctor giving me the best recommendation? Um, there was a time in our past here in America when Black women were undergoing involuntary hysterectomies. They were performing hysterectomies on our daughters, on our young women. If anyone knows the name Fannie Lou Hamer, if you don't know the name, look it up. She comes from my family's home state of Mississippi. They performed a hysterectomy on her. She went in to have a simple surgery and came out sterile. Um, could no could no longer carry her own child, so she and her husband were were childless because this surgeon performed a hysterectomy without her consent. So, and I do believe, and and I don't want to create any conspiracy theories here, but I think surgeons, when they don't have the skills to do certain specialized things, what does a surgeon do? They just take it out, and your hysterectomy is no different. And I do. And, and this is just my opinion. This does not represent Dr. Stitt's thoughts at all. But at times, I think people of the majority, they don't, they're not as sensitive as our own people might be or would be. They're not sensitive. They're not thinking, okay, this Black woman wants to have children someday, so let me try to save her, her uterus. Let me try to save her ovaries. So ladies, get a doctor who looks like you. We didn't go over the, the urban myths. We busted a lot of those myths during the interview at English Brown Winery. So guys, be sure to watch the YouTube video. Um, there are some myths out there like relaxing your hair causes fibroids. Um, there's a bunch of myths and you'll hear about some of those we're busting myths or I guess you could say clarifying really some of these things. And some of them are just absolute myths, but You'll hear about them on the YouTube video. 
um, with Dr. Sit that that interview at English Brown Winery and uh, allow me an opportunity just to put in a plug for English Brown Winery. Siobhan Brown is the owner. It's a black owned winery in Hollywood right off of Federal Highway. It's a little small, quaint, cozy place. You'll love it. They have their uh, their Merlots and Cabs. And did you like the wine, Dr. Stitt? It was phenomenal. The We had a Malbec. Uh, and the yeah. Malbec had just the amount of spice. It was smooth. It was mellow. And it left you just feeling comfortable. I enjoyed I enjoyed my glass. I don't know about you, but I, I like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The same for me. So, ladies, you heard Dr. Sid say fibroids can't be prevented. However, if you know that you have them, ask the questions, get help, focus on your nutrition, see a nutritionist. Stay in communication with your, your gynecologist. Do not wait until they're so bad that, as you stated on Instagram the other night, Dr. Stitt, that there's a murder scene in your bedroom when you're um, engaging in intercourse with your mate. Don't wait until the murder scene happens. Um, don't ignore the pain. Don't just go through each day. Uh, Dr. Stitt talked about women wearing diapers. Um, you got to watch this YouTube interview because a lot of women have done so many things to cope with having uterine fibroids, but they haven't gone to the doctor. So please go to the doctor. Don't wait until you have debilitating pain and you're getting the murder scene, all the blood and stuff when you're engaging in intercourse. Go and see someone early and work on your situation. And if your gynecologist does not know how to do some of the techniques you heard Dr. Stitt describe, go see a specialist. If the specialist doesn't exist here in Florida, go to Dr. Stitt in Maryland. Dr. Stitt, do you do out-of-state consultations virtually? Dr. Thomas, you are reading my mind. Stay out of my head. It's a dangerous place to be. Uh, yes, I was going to mention that before I before we, we signed off, I do virtual consultations, have been doing them for quite some time, and they can be very helpful in planning or managing fibroids. Sometimes you don't necessarily have to come down to Maryland to get information to help you manage your fibroids. So yes, we do cons virtual consultations uh, every day in my office. I set aside time during the day to get that taken care of to help folks who don't have that access. So thank you for bringing that up, Dr. Thomas, definitely. So if listeners would, are interested, please reach out to Dr. Thomas through her uh, Therapy Thursdays, uh, through her YouTube, and let her know your interest, and we'll definitely get you connected and get this taken care of for you. And you can look in the description for tonight's podcast, and you'll see Dr. Stitt's contact information for his office. You may be saying, I have insurance, health insurance here in Florida. It won't cover me to have treatment in Maryland, but that is not true. So call your health insurance and ask your carrier, hey, do I have out-of-state benefits? It's quite possible that your plan may be a plan that carries some out-of-state benefits. So look in the uh, tonight's description of the podcast. I will have Dr. Stitt's information there for his office, how you can contact him. And help us grow Dr. Stitt's Instagram page, please. Dr. Stitt, tell people what your Instagram <laughs> name is so they can follow you on Instagram. My Instagram name is uh, Otis uh, underscore Stitt. Uh, also Dr. O. 
Uh, and we're working on growing our platform as we open up our virtual consultation and trying to really increase our social media presence. It's our, it's our belief that there needs to be a multiple different ways to contact women and share information. And our next project is our social media presence. So please, 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 please uh, take a look at our, our Instagram page and, and participate, follow, and enjoy the information that we're going to be posting. All right. Dr. Sid, thank you for joining me on the couch. Say brain love. Brain love. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need It's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.